Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Always happy to have you on board. I am co-host number one or number two, whichever way you want to rank us, Gary Cohen. Mm -hmm. I am thing one or thing two, whichever you prefer, Tyler Wall. (laughs) Got another good one for you today. Uh, We are talking later in this very podcast to the Executive Vice President of Product and CTO of BlackBerry Cybersecurity, Shashir Singh, kind enough to come on and talk to us. Uh, BlackBerry released a report not too long ago, Understanding Cybersecurity Risks to Manufacturing Infrastructure, talking a lot about, well, the very things we talk about on this podcast all the time, securing industrial cybersecurity. So we'll be talking to him a little bit about that report, uh, about cybersecurity in general, industrial cybersecurity, why critical infrastructure is pretty susceptible right now, why people are going after manufacturing. So interesting conversation a little bit later on in the podcast. BlackBerry, the once known phone company, is now a solutions provider instead. I think I was looking at clicking around online and the last phone they produced was, I I think they shut down the production lines on phone on January 1st of 2022. 2022. Oh, really? That hasn't been that long ago. I did not know that. It's very fresh. But yeah, we talked to them while we were out at RSA in San Francisco. I don't know when you'll listen to this. Many weeks ago when you're listening to this. Um, And yeah, it was a very interesting conversation. They are in the industrial space quite a bit. Um, And that's part of the, you know, why they have this understanding cybersecurity risk to manufacturing study that they put out. So um They asked 1,500 senior IT decision makers and cybersecurity leaders in the manufacturing space about, you know, the cybersecurity risks they face and came up with this. And it's not, if you work in this space, I I don't think these numbers will shock you, but some of the stats that they've got in there, some of the key findings, 71% of organizations in the manufacturing sector have been subjected to a cybersecurity incident in the past year. Uh, That's a pretty high number. Again, not shocking for people who work in here. 41% of survey respondents predict that the risk of cyber attack will rise in 2023. Again, probably not a surprising stat for people that that are in this space that tracks with what people have said on this very podcast. Um, 75, and this is one that actually should be concerning. 75% of IT decision makers in manufacturing believe that other nation states are actively targeting manufacturers in their country at this time. Um, so, I mean, I I think that, so it's not just cyber criminals, of course, because when you're talking about manufacturing, you're also talking about critical infrastructure and things like that. And, you know, there are, there are a number of threats and there's a number of reasons that, as we've talked about on this podcast, OT is under threat. It's, it poses different risks. It's more difficult to defend generally than IT infrastructure is. Uh, it's a mix of new and old equipment, and some of that older equipment is pretty darned old, uh, was not built with security in mind, is hard to secure, is hard to patch, all of the various things we talk about all the time on this podcast. So, um, yeah, some really interesting information in that study, I thought. Yeah, and I think really overall, this, the conversation that we did have with Shashir, uh, I think it was just uh, a good reaffirmation of like what we already know, right? It's we know that OT OT uh, devices are just out of date. And now one of the cool things that Shashir talked about, and he'll get into a little bit though, is 
these manufacturers, um, plant floors, OT, OT engineers probably already kind of know this, but it's finally getting up the food chain that um, these devices need to be more secured. These 20 plus year old devices. Uh, so I believe with the statistic in there was that uh, a lot of the, I'm just going to say a lot very broadly, uh, a lot of these um, people are realizing that they need to start securing their devices. And so they're starting to set aside more budget and allocation towards securing said devices. And then Shashir gets into maybe how they should allocate that a bit and what they should prioritize. Yeah. And I mean, if, <laughs> if you're not going to do it for the good of the world in your company, do it for purely financial reasons, because I mean, there are, there are a ton of those too. We talk a lot about that in the, in the interview with Shashir, but at the report, 28% surveyed believe they would not be able to achieve their business goals for 2023 if they experienced a major cybersecurity incident over the course of the year. These things are costly. If it if you have to take down your production line, if it leads to downtime, you know, there was a report not too long ago that that estimated the cost of a cybersecurity incident in the industrial sector to be $4.24 million. Uh, the BlackBerry report found it, that their respondents said it was a little lower than that, but still likely in the millions of dollars. So there are good self-interested reasons to take care of this. Again, it, you'll cyber attacks on the industrial sector are costly. They are expensive. They create costly and expensive. Those are synonyms. I said them like they were two different things. I'll just roll with that. They are. Uh, give me another one, Tyler. Costly, effective. No, expensive. Uh, oh, man. Costly and effective. I think another synonym for synonym synonym for costly and effective would be uh, consuming. You could use consuming kind of as a branch. I don't know. <laughs> I'm starting to regret that I threw it over your direction there, but <laughs> but it is. And there's also the reputational damage that can happen if it gets out that your organization has been hit with a cyber attack, whether you are a small company or whether you're the next Colonial Pipeline or Solar Winds. There's reputational damage that you have to deal with too. So um, there's cost in a lot of different ways. There's financial cost. There's reputational cost. You know, there's the cost of taking down your operations, taking down your production lines, your manufacturing lines. Uh, a lot of good reasons to start thinking about uh, securing these systems if you haven't already. And and you know, as Tyler mentioned a little while ago, they can be harder to secure. They are OT systems, but it's it. If you haven't done it yet, now is the time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a bunch of different stories out there right now. Um, one of the things, and I know we talk about AI on here a lot because we're kind of fascinated with it ourselves and the emergence of AI. But there was an event that uh, the CISA director Jen Easterly talked at the other day where. She was talking about how AI could be that, you know, a lot the the cyber strategy, the national cyber strategy, obviously is trying to push some of the responsibility for securing systems on the product, on technologists, on the big product manufacturers. And at this event, she was talking uh, the other day, she was talking about how AI, they don't want AI to become and are fearing that AI is already becoming uh, a, another iteration of what's happening in technology, which is people are and you can understand it from a business perspective, are racing products to market and security is sometimes uh, and oftentimes a secondary consideration. They're trying to get things to market and make their money as quickly as they can. And then these products are out there and they're insecure. So the, she was talking about 
um, AI, not positing that the products are insecure, but the fear of if we rush these things to market, if we try to incorporate them too quickly before we start thinking about security, that that's, uh, that's going to be a problem. So that was another story that I thought was really interesting in the, uh, in the week that we are recording this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you hear with anything, I mean, rushing anything out, you're more likely to have uh, bugs and concerns. So wanting to slow the roll, especially um, when implementing like security into something and making sure it's actually effective is, I mean, it's obviously the best course of action. And I, there is, I guess there is a balance between uh, uh, what's the, what's, the word I'm looking for here. There's a, there's a balance between wanting to get it out fast and also making sure it's good, <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. So, um, but definitely making sure that security is a priority. Uh, that's important. With that wonderful bit of insight, let's bring in Shashir Singh. He is the executive vice president and CTO of BlackBerry Cybersecurity. A seasoned senior executive, Shashir brings over 15 years of cybersecurity leadership to his role with his wealth of experience and expertise, he works across the entire organization to set a clear vision roadmap for next generation cybersecurity products and services. Let's go ahead and bring in Shashir. Shashir, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So with these podcasts, we like to start off just by asking our uh, guests just to tell us a little bit about our background. So I'm going to ask you, could you tell us a little about, about your background, how you got to where you are uh, at BlackBerry? Yeah, so I joined BlackBerry almost 14 months back. I came to BlackBerry from uh, McAfee. I was the chief product officer at McAfee. And I was with McAfee for, uh, for almost seven years Um had been with cybersecurity for almost 25 years, I would say. Started my cybersecurity journey with a company called Blue Code Systems in early 2000. And uh, pretty much, I would say, we were instrumental in defining the proxy gateway market. Um, and after that, I was with many other companies, Iron Port System, um, which was basically you know leader in email security space, which got acquired by Cisco. I was managing all of the network and content security business unit uh, for Cisco before I joined McAfee. So that's pretty much my journey before I joined BlackBerry here 14 months back. Wow, excellent. So before we kind of get into, I know BlackBerry released their uh, report on just the uh, industrial sector. And I'm just curious, before we jump into that, uh, I guess, what makes operational technology more difficult to defend than IT infrastructure? See, the, the problem with uh, manufacturing and the OT and IoT, and if you look at it in general, right, um, earlier there used to be a very segmented market or a very segmented IT segment uh, between the OT and IoT. Now, if you look at it, the industrial equipment is built for decades of use, right? Uh, meaning that operating systems typically lag for behind the update cycle of modern software. And, uh, you know, it's it's very shocking that number of organizations actually rely on outdated and unsupported operating systems, which basically performs a lot of these core functions we are talking about. So it becomes a really target for some of these hackers to figure out, you know, what is happening there? Can I use actually OT, IoT in one to jump over to the normal IT segment and basically get to, you know, the whole um, spectrum, I would say. Right. Um, over a period of time, I can tell you that manufacturing industry is getting really smarter. 
but at the same time the cyber security posture remains the same they are not actually able to you know uh, update that on a regular basis and all of that Interesting that you brought that up. So according to your understanding, cybersecurity risks to manufacturing infrastructure report, uh, 36% of manufacturers are still using Windows Windows NT, which was first released in 1993, uh, yeah. was last supported 19 years ago. So you mentioned some of these legacy products and how they're harder to, to protect in OT. How do we get past this? How do we modernize an OT environment and make it cybersecure? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, as more and more uh, you know, businesses have uh, moved from traditional IT environments to modern cloud infrastructure, the cybersecurity threats have evolved, right? In turn, uh, as threats become much more sophisticated, so we have to make sure the security controls are also advanced enough to prevent them. Right? Um, I would say that there are a few things is what we need to we need to think about. One is the cyber readiness, right? Um, if, you, if you talk to many of these folks, they believe that their OT cybersecurity posture is sufficient to address the present risk. Um, I would say that you know less than half actually increasingly they are investing in the cybersecurity in, 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 in the next 12 to 18 months, but they really need to have a very holistic view of what they're trying to do. What I mean by that is the adoption of artificial intelligence is the biggest driving force, right? I think that's something the manufacturers really need to look at it and see, uh, is there something we can do in a year gap in one? Can I, can I put something where we don't really need internet connection, right? We don't need to get a, get a signature update all the time. Um, the second thing I would say is that just looking at the normal network and see if we have a, uh, some kind of a uh, zero trust architecture in place. And I know zero trust architecture is used in, in multiple forms or the other, but it's all about doing the network segmentation, application segmentation, um, you know, the services segmentation, making sure we have the relationship between the user and services and applications, and, you know, authorizing only those people who need particular applications for use, right? We don't need to open up the door for everybody because that increases the attack surface and so on. So I would say those are the few things you can really think about how we can get ready to provide or prevent some of those things, uh, you know, from the cyber uh, cybersecurity attack. I'm going to take a step back here. So, in, in the report, you guys obviously surveyed people about the threat to manufacturing. Right. Um, what did the people you surveyed see as the biggest cybersecurity threats to manufacturing right now? So, I mean, if you look at it, we asked around 1,500 senior IT decision makers, right, and, and cybersecurity leaders in this manufacturing sector. The most of the respondents actually came from either US, UK, Germany, Japan, Australia, and Canada, right? Um, and, you know, interestingly, if you see their, their size was anywhere between 100 employees to 17,000, you know, 500 to 18,000 employees, we're looking at it. Um, the interesting part was that most of the cyber attack or either uh, the security incidents were, you know, um, very verticalized, very, uh, I would say, um, geo, uh, geo related uh, stuff. Um, and um, the, the, the second part was that um, most of these people, they felt that they were ready from the, from the, uh, from the cybersecurity posture point of view, they had the right disaster recovery. Uh, or the backup plan and things like that. But when it came to the actual uh, attack, 
um, they were definitely felt, uh, you know, they were not very much ready like, uh, you know, you'd imagine there. So, you know, I would say just make sure that you have a regular scan of your assessment of your infrastructure, make sure you're ready, make sure your modern equipments and the legacy equipments are all coming together and you have the right, uh, you know, uh, policies across the board, which is kind of much more adoptive as well as based on contextual, right? Uh, one of the things we have seen in the manufacturing industry is um, the, the whole uh, uh, work from anywhere situation has impacted this industry a little bit more because the, the legacy way of VPN connecting into the infrastructure has become a kind of a, you know, um, door for hackers to come into the infrastructure, right? Uh, so they have to really look at, is there any better way of doing it? Is there any better way of connecting, having a secure connectivity from your managed unmanaged devices or from your branch offices or from remote offices into your infrastructure, whether it is a private data center or it is cloud applications or anything you are accessing? So in the BlackBerry report, um, you referenced 41% of insiders uh, predict the threat of cyber attacks will increase in 2023. Um, can you share some insight into what factors that might contribute to, to this increase? I would say that, uh, you know, most of the attacks, if you see, um, it's very much like a malware-based attacks. Uh, there are three threat surfaces we are looking at it, right? One is your endpoint. Um, you know, that's a, that's a starting point, I would say. And if you look at the contents are either created at your endpoint or it is in the cloud at this point, right? Or shared between these two. Um, uh, these two spectrums. Um, the network is kind of becoming much more, um, much more, I would say, opaque, um, given the lot of encryption happening and things like that. But those are the three main uh, threat vector is, is what I would say where, where hackers can come in, uh, whether through your managed unmanaged devices through endpoint or through your network. And the last one I would say is from any of your cloud. When I say cloud, I make it very generic. I mean, it could come from a misconfiguration from the SaaS-based applications which you might be using it, or it could be your IS SaaS-based applications which you might be actually putting it in the cloud, um, you know, from your uh, from your R&D organization. And the last one I would say is that the whole private data center, if it is hosted somewhere else, uh, that could be another place where where the where the hackers can come into your environment. So, with some of these. Cyber attacks, it can obviously just lead to downtime, and downtime is just bleeding money. Uh, especially with some of these smaller businesses, it can mean that their doors are closing just because it's money that they can't lose. Um, what are the some of the financial repercussions of a cyber attack on manufacturing from uh, downtime to cost? Yeah, I mean, that is really, really expensive. I mean, I don't have the data right now, but I can tell you that this is one place where, where it gets very expensive and the example which I want to quote here is the golden hour. A golden hour is a medical term, um, you know, which, which basically says that if you can get medical attention within a period of time, your chances of survival goes high, right? Um, and, and, and that's what is called 24 hours. So same is true in the cybersecurity as well. The more you delay um, or more you have um, a more time to detect some of this malware can do more damage to your IP, your 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 file exfiltrations and all of that, right? Um, so having an early detection, uh, making sure that you have got the right incident response in place, I think is very, very important. That makes sense. So we always talk on this podcast about 
there's probably more than two, but different the two different kinds of criminals. There's the cyber criminals who are just in it for a quick buck. And then there's nation state or state sponsored actors, which are a little more aggressive and are probably attacking you specifically for a reason. What, I think most people don't think of state sponsored actors going after manufacturing, but according to your report, clearly that is a factor. So why do state sponsored actors like to target the manufacturing sector and, and critical infrastructure? What are they after? Yeah, that's interesting. Um... If you look at it, um, infrastructure is backbone of any country, any organization, and, and things like that. Um, you know, if you look at um, um, the war between Russia and Ukraine, and one of the things um, in the war early started with bringing down the infrastructure down, right? Because, because that's one place where you can really uh, shut down the operations and 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 in, in a very meaningful way where you start impacting the morale of the people as well. Um, I, I'm sure you remember Colonial Pipeline, right? The Russian hackers targeted that. And that was that caused the whole shutdown of operations and a gas shortage across the southeast coast of the United States, right? And the bad actors get into this operational technology for example, I think one another one I remember is the water treatment in Alzheimer, Florida, right? They almost succeeded. They almost succeeded in you know, polluting the water supply, which could really impact the human beings there. So first of all, I think it is it is mostly about the money for sure, the ransomware and some of those things. I mean, there is a there is a financial uh, benefit out there. But second thing is also in making sure that they, they you know they are going after their IPs and you know, defaming because you know some of the uh, some of the uh, companies, if they get attacked and the news gets leaked out, you know, the whole partner ecosystem, your, your customers basically look at you in a very different way. What? Come on! I mean, you don't have the right security posture. I mean, am I doing business with the right partner and and things like that start uh, coming in people's mind, which has a huge impact on the business. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the war in Ukraine now. I mean, these geopolitical tensions can really uh, impact the kinds yeah. of attacks that are happening. Um, I mean, you know, this is a while back, but like Industroyer in 2016, taking down the Ukrainian power grid or anything, I, you know, exactly. Stuxnet all the way back in 2010. Um, <laughs> how can or can you share your thoughts on how manufacturers can protect themselves from these state sponsored or, or more aggressive threats that are out there? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that there are phase one and phase two, right? There are two phased approaches, what I would suggest. The first one is that make sure that you have prioritized your risk of business assets and impact what it can happen after the attack. The second one is that you need to have the right security metrics, uh, what you're trying to measure, basically, right? Um, the, the other one is uh, making sure you have got end-to-end -end incident response plan. Um, one of the things what we have seen, um, they will try to take down their, your, your normal communication uh, pipelines, whether it's your, your email, whether it is your, um, you know, whatever the communication or messaging platform you have in the company, they go after that very quickly. So having some kind of an industrial grade uh, incident response mechanism, which is uh, which is basically used for the critical event management system, is also important. And the last one, which is important part, is just eliminating the silos. Right, there are a lot of silos in your infrastructure, basically, and they are looking for the fracture 
on the road where they can start running very very you know fast there and start uh, getting the data as 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 uh, you know as quickly as possible. The phase two is a little bit more technical. So the phase one is much more common sense. I mean, just get it right, do like a normal security assessment of your your environment and all of that. The second one is, I would say, get a little bit more little bit more modern, adoptive policy. And I want to explain this one: adoptive policy based on context and geolocations are one of the one of the aspect of zero trust which we need to build. So, for example, if somebody is traveling somewhere where we think that they are not using the normal or or secure internet connection, we should be able to adopt the policy based on their locations, uh, based on who they are, based on what kind of uh, applications are authorized for them. So having those kind of granular policy control based on user applications and services relationship is really important. And that's what I call that as a zero trust policy. And my, my mantra there is never trust, always verify, right? That's the new one. Um, the, the second part is, which, which becomes like a really, um, um, you know, point of attack is third party software, right? Regularly, you need to validate your third party, make sure your vendors are compliant and they publish vulnerability reports and their patching policies. Right? This is something you need to insist on, right? Because a lot of your business actually depends on them, how they are actually performing in their environment or, or if they get attacked, then you are impacted as well. The, the third one is, you know, create your, create your own SOC environment if you don't have it, right? A lot of times you feel like uh, your products can take care of preventing you, but that might not be the case. You really need to have a small SOC environment where you can have a unified way of collecting data to complete the analysis of all your threat vectors, right? So uh, previously I just talked about the endpoint network and cloud. Make sure you have a unified data lake of, uh, no, approach where you can bring all these things so that you can detect any kind of a lateral movement in the environment. Right? If something is moving from one place to another, because it takes time and, and before it happens, you should be able to detect. And the last one, I think we have said this a couple of times here, move away from your old legacy software. That's key, right? And, and, and also the some of the signature-based or IOC-based solutions, right? Because IOC-based solutions are very deterministic. They're very black and white. They are very, uh, you know, um, like a signature base, you know exactly what is good and what is bad. Um, uh, the new world, I would say, is trending towards behavior-based detection. Before a piece of uh, piece of software turns into a bad character, you should be able to detect based on their behavior. And this is where the artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithms have become very matured to detect those behavior based on how they are behaving in the software. Like some of the software can come in and start changing your uh, your registry or start looking at your file or you know start to look into some of the memories and things like that. You know that piece of software is not supposed to do it. It's doing something which is you know kind of a suspicious at that point. You should be able to confine those areas. So the, those are the two things is what I would say. Phase one, phase two, and, and basically phase two is a little bit more modern. Think about this. How you can adopt in your environment. A lot of great stuff in there, a lot to unpack there. I'm going to go back to one point you mentioned with the geolocation. I imagine that became 
triply important as a result of the pandemic, where suddenly somebody who might be operating a PLC or a SCADA system is not doing it from the plant floor. They're doing it from their living room or their beach house. Right. Totally, totally. I mean, that was one of the weak spots, right? Most of the people working from home and all of a sudden, most of the homes became remote offices, branch offices, right? And that was like designed for home. It was your internet connection, right? And the only thing you could use was your VPN, right? And the interesting part with the VPN connection is, you know, as soon as you have the tunnel from your endpoint devices and, and you're working from home, uh, you have access to all the applications, all the assets of the of the you know company, right? Uh, whether you want it or not, but it is there for you. So if I'm a hacker, and if I know some of the weak spots, if I know some of your refrigerators who has an you know um, IP connection or uh, uh, and you know nowadays most of the houses have a lot of uh, OT IoT environment which which is connected to internet, right? So that's an easy way. For me to hop into those things and then come to your uh, network, and then once I'm I'm in there, all of a sudden I'm 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 into your into your data center, and now I have access to all the applications. I have access to all the assets, uh, what is there, and I can I can you know misuse it. So definitely, like you said, the COVID was one of the things where we see. And if I remember the data correctly, we saw this spike close to 4.5x of the attack, uh, you know, um, the, the whole uh, hackers uh, were coming into that one and we saw the number of malware increased significantly high because of that. So I think uh, we can all agree that cybersecurity isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know, so especially especially within the manufacturing space, I mean, I think, I think they're finally starting to realize that they need to, hey, we need to update these OT systems uh, just to, uh, increase the security and securing the plant floor. Um, as they start to increase their cybersecurity spending, uh, are there any areas you think that they should prioritize first to get the most value on their investments? Yeah, yeah, there are a couple of areas I would say they should prioritize. The first one is making sure their managed and unmanaged devices have the right security posture, right? Have the right endpoint security solution. That's number one, that's like fundamental, right? And the reason I stress that point is your unmanaged devices. When I say unmanaged devices, it's your cell phone, it's your iPad, it is your some other devices where there is no um, no agent, right? There is no way for me to get access to or control over it. So, so have those kind of um, managed unmanaged devices um, the right endpoint posture solution. The second part I would say is a lot of these devices, you know, need to have a very behavior-based detection instead of signature-based. I think that's another point I made um, because that way you should be able to detect the behavior instead of something bad has happened and then you are trying to convict that piece of software. That's number one. So second point is your network. You know, if you look at the network in general, I mean, and definitely the manufacturing industry is one of them, which is kind of really, you know, old legacy when we talked about it, is very plain. Right? There's no segmentation, right? Everything is like one thing and you might have some segmentation based on the networking and you know some of those things, but that's still very old. So you need to modernize that when you need to have you know app-based segmentation, you need to have user-based segmentation, geo-based segmentations and all of that. The last part I would say is that you know a lot of the cloud applications, I, I know um, the number of SaaS-based applications which gets accessed by our endpoint today, 
is just amazing. Just go and look at your uh, your laptop. How many applications actually reside on your laptop versus how much actually you're accessing from the cloud? It's, it's dramatically different than what it was five years back or 10 years back, right? So another part is making sure that there are no misconfiguration on your SaaS-based applications. Um, you know, some of the stuff like Office 365, your, your uh, you know, uh, Salesforce, Workday, like take any of those SaaS-based applications, make sure those are all configured really well so that there are no holes out there. There are no drift in some of the configuration policies. So if you can, if you can really take care of these three things, those are very, very fundamental. I think that will, that will dramatically, you know, improve the, the posture here. The second one, if you really want to get to the sophistication of it, I would say having the visibility, having the discovery of the asset, the cyber assets, whether it is within your infrastructure or outside your infrastructure, you need to really get inventory of that so that you know exactly what you have, you know exactly how to prioritize those assets and also have a much more guarded granular policy around the asset which you care and which you want to protect. Right? So those are the two things is what I would say, you know, you should really prioritize uh, when you're thinking about the cybersecurity readiness or, or making sure, you know, you're you are putting the right investment in those areas. So when we're talking about OT security here, I mean, to some degree, we have to talk about the IT side of it too. Um, with OT and IT, and we're, when we're talking about ITOT convergence and them working together, finally getting both of them in the room just so they can at least communicate together, right? Because they historically have uh, always uh, had a little bit of friction there. So um, I guess how, what are the implications of their interdependence of IT and OT systems and manufacturing, uh, particularly in the context of cyber attacks? See, in the context of cyber attacks, I would say, the overlap between the OT, IoT, and some of the IT segment is, IT segments are much more sophisticated, right? I mean, over a period of time, they have got the right cybersecurity postures and all of that, right? Whereas in the OT, IoT environment, you know, a lot of this um, uh, environment has very old operating system. We talked about multiple times. Uh, some of these things are not passed for a very you know, long period of time. So there's a lot of vulnerabilities and CVEs are um, you know, outdated and you know they are not there. So I would say having a vulnerability scan of your environment of OT, IoT, which could potentially impact the, the IT environment is your first starting point, right? That's the number one thing you should probably think about how, how you can do that one. The second thing I would say is when you are building a SOC environment, um, make sure that the OT or IoT is also feeding some of the telemetry into those SOC environments so that you can have a much broader picture of your environment and you can have a clarity on if somebody is using OT, IoT environment to get into the IT environment or not, right? So you can, you can actually prevent that much before uh, it happens to you. So those are the two intersection points is what I can think of where you, know, you need to bring it together and, and make sure that you have a much more comprehensive solution as part of your infrastructure. I guess, so what can be done to protect their overall cybersecurity posture as a whole, these manufacturing floors, these um, plants? Yeah, I, I think I, I said that, uh, you know, um, first of all, you really need to have the regular assessment, right? I mean, that's number one, the security posture assessment is number one. A uh, lot of times what happens is that you, you are doing your assessment and then you say, you know what, I did it like four years back. No. 
it has to be much more periodic, right? Much more on a regular basis. The second part is make sure you have a disaster recovery and the whole backup plan, right? If something happens, you should be able to get it up and running uh, very, very quickly. Like you talked about it, if something goes down, it's very, very expensive, right? It's very, very, very costly for you to be not operational for a period of time. So that's that's the second thing. Um, the, the last thing I would say is that, you know, you might have a lot of um, um, a firewall, IPS, web security gateway, a lot, a lot of this product portfolio, but these product portfolios work in silos, right? So it's like putting 20 smartest people in the room speaking 20 different languages, right? Uh, idea is that, is there any common way of comprehending the, the intelligence from all of these? So bringing the point product solution into much more a platform-based approach is, is, is really key. If you can get to that solution, I think that that's, that's going to be very key. Makes sense. We talked a lot earlier about costs and whether that was in downtime or just to the bottom line. Is there a particular type of cost manufacturers aren't taking seriously enough right now? Uh, I would say, you know, the average of overall business cost, if you go down, is like, you know, if I remember correctly, it's anywhere between $46,000 to $50,000, right? Um, and it, it, it takes just over a full week to get a manufacturing operation back up and running in the event of any significant cyber incident. Now, one week of downtime, that's a lot of downtime, right? Not only that, it brings a lot of reputation as well, right? Uh, issue as well. So I, I would say that the risk associated with the manufacturing being hacked or going down is extremely high. And it could result in monetary loss, it could result in supply chain issue, or even threaten uh, public safety, like we just talked about it. Uh, and, and bad actors know that, right? They know that they hold those systems for ransom or payload or, or anything. Uh, it could be a very massive, massive opportunity for them. So I would say the part which uh, I, I wouldn't say what they're not looking at, but I think they should be paying more attention to is their, their operational. Uh, playbook or the the part where they feel they have the highest dependency. Uh, how do we make sure that particular cyber asset or the asset is guarded in a way they feel comfortable that even if something has to happen, they should be able to get up and running in a much quicker way or, or much better way. Makes sense. So uh, again, we, we based a lot of this interview on your understanding cybersecurity risks to manufacturing infrastructure report that BlackBerry put out. Is yeah. there anything else about this report, any other key findings that you want to get out there that people should know about it? I, I think I covered most of it, but you know the interesting uh, part I want to just call out for your, your, your uh, uh, audience here is, look, the majority believe their OT cybersecurity posture is sufficient to address the full interest, right? And the 70% of them believe that part. I would say, at least there are 30% out there, they still are, are that gap is there. So make sure that you have the right risk assessment. The second part, which really uh, was uh, eye-opening for me was 57% do not believe that the government is doing enough to protect local manufacturers from cyber attacks, right? That's the highest globally, right? I feel government is doing their part. I think we have to come somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, like President Biden has issued an uh, executive order for making sure that all the third parties of supply chain 
uh, softwares are publishing their, their whole vulnerability assessment and all of that, right? So we need to make sure we are paying attention to enforce those things, right? SOC 2 compliance is another one. The third one is that 60% have the ability to automatically detect and respond to cybersecurity threats in real time, which I thought was a very encouraging number. I really like that one. Um, and you know, the interesting part of that report was they don't need human intervention, right? So that means they have done the automation from end to end to get the incident response and remediation as, as quickly as possible. So um, I'm, I was very pleased. And those are the three things that really popped out uh, in my head. At least I thought that was an interesting observation. Hey, love that great interview here. Um, just so full disclosure here, we met actually Shashir's team at RSA back uh, back a couple of weeks ago in uh, San Francisco, and we now they gave us the opportunity to meet with uh, Shashir here. So uh, thanks for thanks for joining with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it and enjoyed the conversation. Okay, folks, that was Shashir Singh, CTO and Executive Vice President of BlackBerry Cybersecurity. A lot of interesting things there. So we talk all the time on this podcast about how OT environments have a lot of legacy systems that are hard to protect and they're outdated and that makes them hard to protect. Um, one of the things that was in this report and that we talked about with Shashir and is as somebody who is not out there in the wild protecting systems, Shocks me a little bit. 36% of manufacturers use Windows NT. Just in case you're not sure or weren't listening, NT first released in 1993. Uh, Tyler, when were you born? I was born in the year 2000. Yeah. So uh, older than my co-host here. Uh, last supported 19 years ago. So that's an example of the kind of problems that we have out there. So it's not only... Is this uh, an operating technology that could have babysat Tyler when he was growing up? It also is, you know, it's been unsupported for 19 years out there. So how are you keeping that secure? You're yeah, really not. I am right, exactly. And again, I mean, that just goes to show when when you're talking to people out there in the industry, I'm saying I'm using you very broadly, all of the listeners. Uh Royal You. Yeah, the editorial. Right. Yes. Uh they're they're saying that their systems, these systems are 20 plus years outdated. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, especially with that 36% number. And that's only ones that happen to just, they're just stuck in that version of Windows. Like, I mean, some of these systems can still be old and then maybe have, I don't know, whatever was next, Windows Vista. I don't, I don't know what came after that one, but it's still like a very outdated form of Windows. It's, so it's just... It, it does boggle my mind that, and I understand why it doesn't get updated, I guess, but you'd think that manufacturers would want to update them. And maybe they do now more than ever before because cybersecurity is a concern more than it ever was before, more than it was 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. So, I mean, I get it at the same time. I don't. So, and that does get into the conversation around when you do want to update these devices, you do have to take them offline. There will be downtime involved. And as I was talking about um, when we were talking with Shashir, what downtime is just bleeding. You're just bleeding money, bleeding revenue. Um, and if you're too small of a company, that can be just, just it for you. So I, I do understand it from that regard. But at the same time, 
would you rather take your systems offline for a while, lose some money, or get hit by a cyber attack and lose even more money, and then also still the downtime on top of that? So it, it's the the better of the evils is what it kind of comes down to. Yeah, I, we understand that it's a tough decision, and that it's uh, and that you know we talked about costs earlier. That that's a that and and this the BlackBerry report that we based a lot of this interview on, it says in there somewhere that the biggest concern that companies have about modernizing is cost. It's a concern. Um, I'm also still stuck on the idea of Windows NT babysitting you. I've had this picture in my head. Do you, do, do you ever know who Clippy was? Does Clippy mean anything to you? That sounds very familiar. I have no idea which Windows operating system it was on, but they had this little paper clip icon that was yeah. like, I don't know, supposed to be helpful. So now I've got this vision of Clippy babysitting you. And I think Clippy would have made a great babysitter. Clippy would have been a very good babysitter. Yeah. I think people made fun of, I think the only reason I remember Clippy, because I wasn't, I'm not generally not a, a Windows user. I'm more of a Mac guy. Um, is I, Clippy just took a lot of heat. Clippy took a lot of heat back in the day. That is unfortunate because I mean, Clippy could have looked after me. He's a delightful he, she, it is a delightful little character. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, look up Clippy. Make Clippy your friend. Yeah. Um, well, thank you again for being with us. As always, if you want to contact us, I am at G Cohen, G-C-O-H-E-N, at cfemedia.com. And I am T Wall at cfemedia.com. For more great information just like this, of course, you can visit us at icspulse.com or if you prefer the long tail version, industrialcybersecuritypulse.com. You'll find this living, breathing podcast that gets dropped every other week on Tuesday at, I'm not going to put a specific time, but it's around 9 a.m. And uh, we also have a, a slew of other great content. I mean, we work with end users all the time, get content up that way, and we have expert interview video series that you'll enjoy as well as some different webcasts. And thanks for tuning in this time. We always appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>